Well, good morning. I am Alex Dennis. I'm the lead pastor here at Asante Church. If it is your first time or if we have not met yet, I want to welcome you into a time of worship as we dive into the Word this morning. We are wrapping up summer. We are wrapping up full family worship summer. So we have had our kiddos in here from kindergarten all the way up to fifth grade, and a couple of those kiddos are no longer kiddos. They are now young men and young women who have graduated fifth grade, and they are going into middle school. And so all my middle schoolers in here, welcome. We are glad that you're joining us full-time now. Super special. I see you guys, and I'm keeping an eye on you too, okay? You're not getting away with anything over there. So, well, hey, all summer long, it has been an awesome time of worship, and this morning we are going from the Summer on the Mount in Matthew into the Gospel of John, and we are asking a question, and that question is, who is Jesus? This is one of the most important questions that we could ever ask, and it is important for us because when we know who Jesus is, when we know how he acts and reacts, when we know his character, his person, what he does, what he came here for, then we know as believers, as children, as sons and daughters of God, how we can relate to Jesus. So who did Jesus say that he was? We find that answer in the Gospel of John, and so we are going to be in the Gospel of John Today, in the next six weeks, as we look at the seven I Am statements that Jesus says in the Gospel of John. And so, just a little background on the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written between 70 to 100 A.D. This is at the end of John's life. He is in Ephesus, and he is writing in what we now know as Turkey. This is not a synoptic Gospel, so the way that the Gospels go, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you have John. These were kind of written... After Jesus' death, a little bit closer to each other, they cover a lot of the same things. There's a lot of overlap within them. And the Gospel of John is written from the perspective of John at the end of his life. He has seen a lot of things take place since Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written and had been in circulation. And so not only do we get an outside look a little bit later on into the Gospel, into the ministry, the life of Jesus, but we get it from someone who was very special. And that was John, son of Zebedee, the disciple whom Jesus loved, likely one of the most close people to Jesus that ever walked the earth. And so we get an inside look. And John is writing this gospel to prove one thing, and that is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that Jesus is the son of God, and that if we believe in him, if I believe in him, if you believe in him, that we have eternal life, but the only way that we receive eternal life is in believing in Jesus. So that's the gospel of John from 30,000 feet. We have to ask the question now, okay, that sounds great, but where are we picking up this morning? We are going to be in John chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you've got your connect cards, get ready to take some good notes this morning. We are going to be starting in John 6, verse 25. But up until this point, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a couple loaves of bread and a few fish and a little lunch sack that a little boy brings to the disciples. And it's not just 5,000. It was 5,000 men that were present because that was what was recorded at that time. But it's thought that there were 12,000 people there that Jesus fed when he performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 that we know of. And this isn't Jesus just breaking a little piece of fish off and saying, here's a little fish stick, and here's a little breadcrumb, and all right, I hope you get full on that. No, there wouldn't even have been enough scales on that fish for 12,000 people. 
No, we're talking about Jesus miraculously multiplying these loaves, multiplying the fish to feed the people that were there. And we see in that that Jesus meets a need. We see that these people are ecstatic. We see that they are excited. This guy just took a few loaves of bread and some fish and fed all of us. I'm talking all of us until we were full and not even until we were full, but we were full and then we had some leftovers. How awesome is that? And after that full day of ministry, Jesus sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee because there's more ministry to do. There's more work to be done. And so they take off and he says, hey, I'm going to meet you guys over there. And so they take off on a boat like normal human beings. And Jesus just says, all right, I'll see you on the other side. And in the middle of the night when the storm is raging and the waves are high and they are crashing, they see Jesus out on the water and they think, oh, my goodness, is that a ghost? And Jesus gets in the boat, and it says immediately they were on the other side. Now, the bad news for the exhausted disciples and Jesus, who just walked half of the Sea of Galilee to get in the boat with his boys who were terrified to get to the other side, is that everyone else, the 12,000 people that were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that they just fed, they had boats too. So these guys are completely tired, completely exhausted, and now there's even more expectation for this Jesus this guy who can feed everybody. And guess what? They want to be fed. So that is where we start off this morning. We are in John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, before the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And so we see right here, verses 26 and 27, Jesus did not come to benefit us materially. Jesus did not come to benefit us physically, but he did come for one thing, and that is the most important thing that he could have come from. Jesus came to benefit us spiritually. First point this morning, Jesus came to benefit you spiritually. Jesus came to benefit me spiritually. Jesus didn't come to just pass out bread over and over and over again so that we could be fed, so that we could be full, and like any good Chinese meal is just gone within 30 minutes to four hours, and then it's, all right, we're hungry again. Now, it's not just Chinese food. I just recently had Chinese food. I'm not sure why that came to my mind first, but it was delicious. And if you haven't been to Panda Express, I'm not sure that's legit Chinese, but <laughs> they're not sponsoring this sermon either. <laughs> it was good, though. But after I ate that meal, you know what? I was hungry. And I was thinking, you know what? That orange chicken was good. I bet that honey sesame chicken would be even better. And so what did I want to do? I wanted to get back in my truck. I wanted to go back to Orange, or uh, back to Panda Express back to Orange Chicken Hut and get some more food because it filled me and then once again I was hungry. Jesus didn't just come to meet physical and material needs. He came to meet spiritual needs and when he meets our spiritual needs there are certainly byproducts of G Jesus meeting those needs that do meet our physical needs, that do meet our material needs. Now the strategy, part of the mission, part of the way that we do things as a church, what we've said from the very beginning and that we will continue to say after sermon, after sermon, after sermon, 
is that when we go to minister to our community, when we live life and we love people because God loves us, we do life in community, we live alongside other people, we meet physical needs, we meet emotional needs. And what have we said every time? We get that from Jesus throughout the gospel. You meet a physical need, you meet an emotional need, and it opens the door to a spiritual need being met. And when that door swings open, then Jesus can slip in with the good news of the gospel. And then, boom, a spiritual need is met. The most important need that we have in our life is for Jesus, and only he can meet it. And every need that is met for us, whether it is physical, whether it is material, and ultimately spiritual, is meant for us as believers and for people who have yet to come to know Jesus, to press deeper into Jesus, to come into relationship with him, and then grow deeper into Jesus. And so every time Jesus shows up in your life and he meets a need, respond with praise, respond with gratitude. Jesus, thank you for this, and dive deeper into your walk with Jesus. Now, there will be physical benefit. There will be material benefit for us as believers. We know that right now, our needs will be met on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't mean that we're going to end up Bill Gates rich. This is not a prosperity gospel that Jesus is preaching. This is not a name-it-claim-it kind of thing. This is, I will take care of your needs day-to-day. You don't have to worry about these things because I've got you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I have you in my hands. I will make sure that you are clothed. I will make sure that you are fed. I will make sure that you are taken care of day after day after day. And then at the end of our lives, when we go to be with Jesus, when we cross over into glory, when we finally make it to heaven, brothers and sisters, that is when there is physical glory. That is when there is material glory. That is when we, as we learned last week, are seen in secret doing these things out of obedience and love for the Father are then rewarded in secret when we finally get to the other side of the gates of heaven. And so it is not yet, but it is coming. And then we see in verse 27, says, do not work for the food of the Pharisees, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. This is saying that Jesus is the genuine article. God has set his seal on him. This is his seal of authenticity. So we can trust, we can believe in Jesus because God has said, no, this is my son. This is the one whom I sent. We can put our trust, we can put our belief in him. And then we see verse 28. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you would believe in him whom he has sent. Second point this morning. Please get this. Please take this away. Please apply this into your life. Second point, the work is in the believing. The work is not in the doing. The work is in the believing. The work is not in the doing. Because of this, we see that we cannot earn salvation. But you know what we can do when it comes to salvation? It's a lot easier than trying to earn it. Day after day, night after night, action after action. You know what we can do? We can receive this belief. We can receive the good news of Jesus. We can stop striving. We can stop trying to earn our salvation. There's no X, Y, Z that you have to do before Jesus other than believe and repent and put your faith and trust in him. 
It's not, I need to get baptized. I need to take communion. I need to do these three, five, six, seven, a thousand steps with the church before I can truly be saved. No, we put our faith in Jesus. We believe in him. We stop striving for salvation, and we accept that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he is our Lord, that he is our Savior, and we put our trust and our faith in that. We ask him for the forgiveness of our sins, and we receive justification for our sin. That means that we take upon his righteousness, and he takes our sin, our evil, and he died as the perfect sacrifice for that on the cross. And so we work from this point moving forward. We say, I have been saved. I'm going to move forward in my life out of gratitude of having been saved, not saying that I am going to keep working towards a salvation that I think I can earn myself. And I know we say that a lot, but we keep slipping into this mindset. We keep slipping into this attitude of, if I can just do a little bit more, then I can earn the love of God. If I can just do a little bit more, then I can be forgiven of my sin. If I can just do a little bit more, maybe I can be a good enough person to make it to heaven. And that is not the gospel. That is an anti-gospel. That is a works gospel. What do we do? Church family, we receive it. And we live out of having received it. I want you to think with me. You invite somebody that you know and you love so dearly over to your house. And I'm talking like you know this person. You know their favorite spread on the table. You know the way that they like their steak cooked. You know the seasoning they like on the steak. And you've got it all ready. You know that they like mac and cheese. And I'm not talking craft out of the blue box. I'm talking like seven-layer crock pot mac and cheese. All right, it's my daughter's birthday today, and we're having that later. And so I'm a little excited about that. Uh, way more excited than Panda Express. I'm talking about you've got bacon inside the green beans on the table ready to go. You've got rolls hot and fresh out of the oven with butter inside of them. And the company finally arrives and you sit down and you break bread and you have a meal. And a lot of you guys are really hungry right now, I can tell. (laughs) And you have great conversation and you love each other and you meet each other right where you are. And at the end of this meal, they stand up and they say, man, that was great. Thank you so much for dinner. Thank you so much for this conversation. And they pull out their wallet. And they say, how much do I owe you? Are you kidding me? Man, I love you. Man, I'm here to serve you. Man, I'm here to be hospitable. Put your wallet back in your pocket. That's the biggest insult we could ever do for somebody who loves us and wants to take care of us. We get it when it comes to a a dinner setting, but we don't quite get it when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to what Jesus has done on the cross. He says the work has already been done. You could do nothing to earn this, but I have done everything so that you can earn this. So church, it's time that we accept it. It's time that we sit down at the table with Jesus, we break bread, and we accept his love, we accept his forgiveness. We ask for that, and we move forward out of that. The work is in the believing. It is not in the doing. We'll continue on. Verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Still not getting the picture that Jesus was painting. Jesus was saying, not quite yet, but painting the picture of, hey, it's not the bread that I can give you. It's not some lunchable out of a kid's box that I can just keep multiplying. No, it's me. 
And so they still don't get it. They ask for more bread. And what this does is it takes us back to the Old Testament. It takes us back to Moses. It takes us back to the Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 16, we won't have verses on the screen for this. Exodus 16, 1 through 4, write that down if you want to go back, check it out. Always back check me. They set out from Malim. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. They had already passed through the Red Sea. They had already escaped out of Egypt, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then we see that that continues on. Exodus 16, verses 11 through 15. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God said, hey, I hear your grumbling. I am going to take care of you. In the evening, the quail came and covered the camp. Now, we have quail everywhere around here, and these are the dumbest birds I've ever seen. I accidentally killed four just driving down the street the other day because they're like, that's a truck. Let's go jump out in front of it. It was terrible. Imagine these dumb birds covering the whole camp. It's open season. Hey, we're going to eat some meat tonight, baby. This is good stuff. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, a fine as frost on as fine as frost on the ground. So biblical representation of frosted flakes. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? And that's literally what manna means. What is it? Hey, what's, what is it on the ground? We're going to eat what is it for the next 40 years. It's going to be great. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So we do a flashback for this reason. These people were looking for a king. These people were looking for the next great prophet. These people were looking for a Messiah. And this was the great expectation that God was going to provide someone, something for them that was going to lead them, that was going to fill them. Every need that we have, if we just keep following this Jesus guy, is always going to be met. What were they thinking about? They were thinking about their their bellies, right? We think about our bellies all the time. You're probably thinking right now what you're going to eat after church today, and that's all right. But if that's all we think about, if that's our only concern, and we miss Jesus completely, then we are completely missing out on what God is saying to us here, just like these Jewish people, just like the Israelites. They wanted a king. They wanted to be set free, and they wanted to be fed. They wanted a Moses-like figure. Could this Jesus be that person? Could this Jesus be that Messiah. Now they saw the miracle from the other day, and now they wanted an even bigger miracle on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Little did they know, Jesus was once again about to flip everything upside down on its head and reveal who he truly was. Verse 32, Jesus says, true bread has been sent from heaven. 
And this true bread nourishes eternally and spiritually, no longer temporarily. I am the bread from heaven, Jesus said. The Father has sent me, and I will bring life. Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. It is me. It's not about filling your bellies. You're going to be taken care of. It is about spiritual security. It is about you believing. It is about you having propitiation for your sin. It is about you being made right with God. And then Jesus goes in verse 35, and he explains it even further. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Here it is. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For, who I have come for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, here we are. We keep going back to the uh, Exodus. They keep saying, well, Moses gave us this manna from heaven. And then Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, if you remember, taking it all the way back to Exodus, there was an event that happened in Moses' life where an I am statement was made. When Moses was at the burning bush, and God is sending Moses into Egypt to free his people. And Moses, feeling insecure, feeling cowardice, says, well, God, who should I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. God says, I am sent you. The crowd would have thought back, aha, once again, this is Moses. This is God. This is an I am statement. They would have made a connection back to that event. This is an aha moment that we would see in a lot of movies today. For you guys that are a little bit more experienced in life in here, this would have been like Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, when Darth Vader reveals, hopefully this is not a spoiler alert for anybody, it's been a while, <laughs> Luke, I am your father. It's the great reveal. Boom, that's who this is. Okay, now this is starting to make a little bit more sense for a little bit more new school in here. This is Tony Stark at the end of the first Iron Man saying, I am Iron Man. This is Jesus, and he's saying, I am the bread of life, the first of seven I am statements. And when he says, I am the bread of life, he's saying that I am all that you need. I came to fulfill. I am Christ, and Christ is your reward. And he also says, verse 37 through 39, that he will not lose us. Now, this is awesome. This is where we can have confidence. He will not lose us if we have faith. If we have believed, then we are secure in our salvation when it comes to Jesus. This means that we cannot out our saveness. Now, hear me. This does not mean that we go, go on in life after coming into relationship with Jesus, being justified, intentionally sinning, pursuing sin, pursuing a dark, dirty, evil life. What this does mean 
is that we will unintentionally sin. And there will still be times where we intentionally sin. But that sin is still covered by the blood, by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so if you are in this room today and you are worried about your salvation, you have come into relationship with Jesus and you might have wandered off like the prodigal son. I want you to know just like the prodigal son, as the father sees him running back over the hill, that the father runs to him. The Father loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can take away that free dinner that, the, that you made for your friends because you loved them. You gave that to them, and you receive it. Now, this also means that we still sin. There are no perfect people. If you are a perfect person, you are not allowed in this church because you're going to ruin everything, okay? we got a good thing going here. We're messed up. We're broken people. We need the love. We need the grace of Jesus, and we're going to live in that. And we're going to walk out of that. We are forgiven. There is grace. So how do I know if I am saved? Maybe that is a question that you are asking this morning. Let's ask ourselves some questions. It's always good to know, always good to reassure. Do I have faith and do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Have I trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin? Is Jesus my Lord? Translated, is Jesus my master? That means, do I obey him? Do I do the things that he does? Does my life look like his? If yes to those questions, truly, genuinely, guess what? Then yes, you are a believer. If no, you don't have to leave this place today wondering, questioning, being insecure about your salvation. Let's talk about that. Let's work through that. We want you to be secure in your eternity and where you will go because once you are his, he will not lose you. And then in verse 40, we see that Jesus came to do God's will. Third point this morning, Jesus came not to fill, but Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus came not to fulfill, but Jesus came to fulfill. I guess fulfill is not a word. Fulfill, that's a little bit better. Jesus came to bring eternal life. We need to know that. We need to celebrate that. Jesus came to raise up believers with him. That is the will of the Father who sent him. This was his job. This was his purpose on earth. And in Jesus' message to what he is saying to this crowd that is surrounding him, asking him for more bread, give us more bread. I want that kind of bread, the bread that I'll never be hungry again. Jesus is saying it is not about the temporary fix. It is about the eternal fix. It's not about the fun life. It's not about the good life. It's not about the productive life. It's not about the easy life. It's not about the rich life. It's not about the relationally intimate life. It is about the true life, and true life can only be found in Jesus. You will not be happy just getting more parts for your truck to make it look better. You will not be happy throwing yourself into another game. You will not be happy throwing yourself into another bottle or popping another pill. You will not be happy by surrounding yourself with people who do not, do not bring life to you, that are not living in the truth and in the life. True life can only be found in Jesus. And so if you are looking for something to fill that gap, to fill that void in your heart, in your mind, and you have not found it yet, then start looking at Jesus. The only one who was ever designed to fill that gap, to fill that void. He is our fulfillment. He is our satisfaction. And so the question is, what are we filling our lives with? What is it that we're spending time on? What is it that we've taken off the throne, Jesus off the throne, and we've put up on his throne? What are we filling our lives with? What are we filling our marriages with? 
What are we filling our kids with? What are we filling our friends with? And will it last? Does it have any staying power? If it's not Jesus, it doesn't. Will it lead to eternity? If it's not Jesus, it won't. Will it leave them empty? Will it leave them searching? Will it leave them coming back for more and more and more? I just need one more hit of this. I just need one more Amazon order for that. It all leads to emptiness at the end of the day if it is not in Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that will leave us fulfilled. So we continue. Verse 41. We'll close with this. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is restating everything, making it more clear, more explicit. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Fourth and final point. We consume Jesus by being consumed by Jesus. We consume Jesus. We take of the bread. We eat of his flesh as he is describing here. Not literally, but symbolically. We, are consume, we consume Jesus by being consumed by Jesus. So how are we being consumed by Jesus. Let's just for a second look at our days. Are we spending time in God's word? Are we spending time in open conversation, connecting with God? Are we communicating to him, God, here is what's going on in my life. Here is where I need you. Here's what's going on in the lives of the people in my church, of my family, of my loved ones, of people in my neighborhood, people in this community that need you. Will you intercede? Are we spending time in the word? Are we reading God's word? Are we opening up our Bibles or are we just taking someone else's word for it? If the only time you spend in scripture in the week is on a Sunday, you will not survive as a Christian. If the only meal you ever ate was on a Sunday morning, you would not make it two, three days into the next week without getting incredibly weak and eventually falling flat and eventually you keep it up long enough, you're going to die. For a lot of us in here, that's what our spiritual lives look like. We don't spend time in the Word. We only spend time taking someone's Word about what the Word of God says. So, let's dig in to the Word. Are we spending time in the Word? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we talking to God? Are we seeking to just be fulfilled, or are we seeking to be filled? I got that backwards. It's okay. Are we seeking... To be just filled, or are we seeking to be fulfilled? Fulfilled. <laughs> We're going to get there eventually, guys. <laughs> I want you to do this, all right? Just a moment of vulnerability. I'm not going to have you raise your hands or anything like that. Everybody pull out your, uh, your Connect card. Pull out your pen. Tear off the little part down at the bottom. 
I realize that there are people in this church that do not read their Bible because it's pretty easy. You just don't know how. Nobody has ever walked you through it. I don't want that to be your story. I don't want that to be my story, knowing that you were in my care and that I was responsible for your spiritual walk with Jesus, that I was responsible for growing you closer in your life with Jesus, and no one ever at this church taught you how to read the Bible. If that is you, and you have questions about it, if you're just curious about it, I would say on the bottom of your Connect card where you tear it off, put your name, put your contact info, and say, hey, I need help reading the Bible, or just put reading the Bible, or we'll get real secret, top secret, all right? Just write RB. Some people will think it means running back, but we'll know. <laughs> it means reading the Bible. Also, when it comes to prayer, I think there's a lot of, just a lot of weirdness surrounding prayer. Like, I've got to say these right things, and sometimes it's got to be in Latin or some other language. I'm not really sure. We come from a lot of different religious backgrounds here. What I'm saying is, praying is just talking to Jesus. It's just being open. It's being honest. It's being raw. It's being real, just like we talked about last week. If you are curious about prayer, if you feel like you can't go before Jesus and talk to him for whatever reason, I want you to write, maybe write P-R on there. Don't just write P. Write P-R on there so that we can talk about what it looks like to pray. I'll reach out to you this week. We'll email you. But we want to make sure that you are growing closer to Jesus, that you are loving him. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We so desperately, desperately need you. We need to be fulfilled. We don't just need to be filled, Jesus. Thank you that you are the bread that came. Not to take care of our physical needs and material needs only, but to take care of the most important need that we have, and that is our spiritual need. That we are sinful people. That we need forgiveness. We need to be put back in right relationship with God. And Jesus, we thank you that you lived a perfect life, and you were the perfect sacrifice, and you took the cross so that we could be put back in that right relationship. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And God, I would pray this morning, if there's someone here that is not in a relationship with you, that has not started that amazing adventure with you, Jesus, that you would call them into relationship with you. And if that's you in here this morning, and you have your Connect card, and you're just curious about it, if you have questions about Jesus, let us know. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus, let us know. Just check that off. And turn all those connect cards in to the generosity box, the giving box at the welcome area. Jesus, this week, show us what we are filling our lives with. The idols that we kick you off the throne in our lives for. And we replace you. Show us the things that we are filling ourselves with that leave us empty. And Father, help us to identify, come up with a plan, and execute that plan to get rid of those things and put you back on the throne, to be fulfilled by you, Jesus. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.